Hello, my dear listener, and welcome to Is This It? I'm your host, Donna Greenberger, and I'm here to have meaningful conversations with talented and purpose-driven people to discover what mindset allowed them to overcome their greatest challenges and achieve success, and share it with you so you can do the same. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider joining my exclusive Patreon community to support the show and unlock bonus content. Put me back through commando training. I would rather be wet and cold with, you know, 80 pounds on my back, walking up a mountain <laughs> with the rain, you know, sideways on my face or whatever, than having to deal with my 12, 13 year old daughter who is growing up. And, you know, my instinct is always to protect and it's the worst thing I can do with her. For me, I was never really bothered about putting my life in danger. I was bothered about when I had to send troops into an environment that I knew statistically, you know, something was gonna happen to them. On today's episode, a seasoned property investor, business coach, and a British army major, Nick Thorpe. Hi, Nick. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's okay. I want to delve straight into the defense. <laughs> Tell me something about your childhood or the time that you were growing up that you think had a very strong impact on the type of person that you've become. Cool. Great question. Well, yeah, thanks very much for, for having me here. Yeah, that is very deep to start off with, isn't it? <laughs> you know, that's what we're about here. You know, yeah. we, we don't do the surface stuff. We go straight into the important bits. Yeah, fantastic. So I, I suppose my childhood was, it was full of love. That, that was the first thing. It felt warm and it felt caring you know i grew up in a in a typical kind of broken home mm. <laughs> you know with you know in, in a family environment that was quite kinetic you know I, I grew up with a stepfather that was quite quite violent towards my my mother and at the time i just my instinct was always to protect and i think that's probably one of the um one of the kind of big traits that i took forward i've always felt like i always want to be there to protect the people even if they don't want my protection and that kind of carried through through my career and because you've life. served almost 17 years in the army in the british army right yeah that's right yeah and you enrolled when you were 17 yeah do you think that had a strong correlation i i do but also i think you know the army was it was an exciting thing it was a career progression but almost a bit of an escape as well mm. escape from what uh from the house environment yeah, I mean, so my early childhood was like that. And then my mother kind of remarried to a fantastic human being, you know, wonderful, wonderful man. And, you know, that was loving. And I almost felt like she was she was kind of safe and looked after so I could go off and do do my thing because I've always had an itch. An um, itch for? An itch for excitement or risk or I've always tried to push myself. No, I'm a slow start. You know, I'm kind of, I'll go in and I'll... I'll underwhelm most people <laughs> and then once I get going I tend to I, I tend to do well. So that applies to every aspect of your life business career. It, it really does yeah you know I start slow and then it, it, it skyrockets very quickly so like in the military you know I joined the military as a as a private soldier um, as a technician actually working on different weapon systems, learning, you know, fixing them effectively. And then I was like, well, I can do more than this. So I went and did my parachutist and commando training. I thought, oh, I can do more than this. And my boss was a bit rubbish. So objectively I, or <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, I think I probably learned you, you learn as as much from a bad 
leader and manager as you do from a good one and okay. i thought well i can do a better job than you so i kind of managed to talk my way into commissioning and went through uh, the military academy sandhurst um, became an officer and and i always kind of every job i went into i always pushed and i did very well you know from coming top of my peer group when we were all kind of ranked, you know, as, as a grading through to the kind of jobs that I got. And how long did that progression take you? How how much time did you kind of spend in each role? So uh, as a as a private soldier, I was about, let's do the maths, probably about five or six years. So I was a corporal uh, and then went on to, went through Sandhurst, went through the ranks relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. And I left the army almost on a bit of a whim. Explain that. <laughs> I was probably, you know, they, they say leave on a high. Yeah. And I was probably on a high. I had really good jobs and really good reports, really good recommendations. You know, my peer group now are kind of colonels. How do you leave on a high though? It's easier said than done. Yeah. What made you leave? That that itch, that scratch. I wanted to go and do something. I wanted to, you know, I felt like there was something else. I felt like there was something more. And that feeling is, I think, probably what has carried me through. I've always felt like get on to something else, you know, and and I'm destined for something greater. What is greater to you? What does that mean? Depends what day of the week or (laughs) (laughs) whether I've had coffee or not. But yeah, probably... um, greatness purpose success fulfillment happiness all comes around looking after my health looking after my income and then looking after my family life yeah that's it health income life so at some point you realize that that will not happen in the army yeah i i think that i i got to a point where it was moving from doing the job to more of a political job it was kind of down to who you knew and was it the famous glass ceiling that we're talking about um probably yeah probably Mm. and and i just i saw a fantastic career also i had a family you know my first daughter was born you know whilst i was kind of in the army and i was away a lot and i wanted to be around a little bit more and I suppose there's also the factor of, I don't know, if were you ever in situations where your life was in danger? Yeah, but but that was, um, you know, I always liken this to go and train to be a hairdresser, but never actually cut anyone's hair. You know, I trained to do a job and I did the job I was trained to do and I volunteered to do it. Mm. But there was plenty of times where you were curled up in a ball waiting to go and or you were fighting and you know the curled up in a ball thing is about you know a lot of what we did in iraq was you were based in and you know i was based in Badger in iraq for, for quite a long time we used to get rocketed every day rocketed rocketed meaning. uh bombs being dropped you okay. know fired from kind of the local town into the camp so when they come you know they, they fire there's not really much warning sometimes there's a an air raid kind of siren goes off sometimes there isn't and all you can do is curl up in a ball because there's nothing you can, you know, it's potluck. There's nothing you can do really. So sometimes you could crawl to a shelter if you're nearby, but sometimes you're in the shower. You know, I've, I've been naked on the floor wow. <laughs> um, whilst you you hear the impacts. And what happens is they go boom, boom, boom. They get louder and closer to you. And you don't know if the next one is... And uh, all you can do is just wait? Just wait. And then, you know, the next day oh. or later in the day, you can go out and try and find the cheeky monkeys that were, that were shooting oh, wow. them. 
So all these years, almost 17 years, what do you think are the things that you picked up most? What did you learn that stuck with you? Which are the things that you've inherited from that experience? Definitely a, a very, a very wide perspective. So there's not really much that can top it. So you take that kind of selfless commitment and that there's nothing you've done that can be worse than being in that environment. Mm. So then you start business as I did and go, oh, you think you're having a tough day. <laughs> there's, there's kind of nothing compared to that. There's the practical aspects of being able to communicate. There's the being able to manage your time, being able to get stuff done, you know, relatively quickly, being able to prioritize, you know, that's the basic level stuff. And I would say the next tier of that is being able to put up with quite a high threshold of pain. And I don't mean physical pain. I mean, when you've been in that environment, your threshold for um, being able to push through, whether you're hungry or you're tired or you don't know what you're doing or you're feeling uncomfortable, you can push through that comfort zone. So I guess it's that discipline, endurance and not giving up. Yeah. And discipline outperforms motivation, doesn't it? Yes, so always does. Always, always, always. So take that selfless commitment and move it into an environment where you have choice and you have freedom and i think it's also another thing which is you really have learned how to manage fear so as you said perspective also translates into that fearlessness almost because you know that whatever happens in this business even if it goes you know belly up and you need to close the company so what in the bigger picture you'll just try again and you'll do something else and you'll do it probably better so because of that perspective it allows you to drop that fear which is one of the biggest reasons why people don't even start let alone fail in businesses yeah that's right and it will fail because like seasons everything comes and goes do you think almost taking away how much you've gained from that military experience do you think everyone should go to army mm, gosh good question no <laughs> why because because it certainly has given you an upper hand. Yeah. So I grew up, my, you know, my grandfather was the big male influence in my life as I grew up. And he went through national service. And very interestingly, he joined as a technician in national service and then came out as retrained as an electrician, like I did. That's, that was my resettlement from the army and had his own businesses. And I think I've probably subconsciously followed a lot of his footsteps. The, the base level of being able to make your bed, you know, being a good citizen, you know, being a good human being a good person there's an element of that is you know you're taught that you have to live that otherwise you don't fit into that environment the downside to that is you create robots and you create people that are they have a certain level of skill set but also you know one of the fantastic things about society is the vibrant you know the the differences you know we're so interconnected we're so globalized now as a you know human race i think you would lose that if everyone went through that basic level of training so the upside which is the discipline the ability to work in team to execute orders to you know be fearless doesn't outweigh the downside uh not for me but i'm coming from the perspective of having that so if someone comes from the perspective of wanting those skill sets i only ask that because i've always in a way you know had had much respect and admired people that have done that experience because i can really clearly see those qualities that they gain 
yeah. from going through that experience. So I've always thought that countries like, you know, Switzerland and, and, and Israel where army service is mandatory. I think it's beneficial almost for everyone. But then again, I'm coming from a place where I've never done it. So who am I to sp speak about that? But from, from that, what I've observed, I've always thought that it could be something beneficial. But then you can argue it's almost, it almost makes people a little bit too, I don't want to generalize about societies, but you know, like in, you know, different countries, but it can make them too observant. You know, I had a call with one of my- Observant. Too compliant, oh, sorry. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I had a call with one of my um, investment clients from Singapore and we were talking about COVID and we were talking about how if there's anywhere in the world, you know, I found from all my time in Singapore and my interactions, people are quite, you know, they, they follow the process, they follow the rules. Whereas, you know, in, in Leeds where I live, if, you know, they overlaid the the rules of, you know, you, when you're 21, you get married, you get a government flat, you know, you, you can do certain bits with your time, certain bits with your money. People wouldn't do it. So yeah, I suppose. And and they go through they go through some form of national service out there, I think. So there is ups and downs. Yeah. Fair enough. Um so after you exited the military, how did you decide what to do next? You've done a lot of things in within property uh, and we'll get to that. But how what was the transition period for you when you when you left the military yeah i didn't have a clue and i can follow the standard kind of you know ex-army officer routes of going into management consultancy or go and do a you know uh, apprenticeship with someone or you know so something like that and i just i knew i wanted control and freedom over my life and my time and i wasn't really motivated by money i was more motivated by yeah, managing my own diary. So yeah, I, I did Lean Six Stigma. I did, you know, some management training, bits of project management training, which was kind of an odd way of doing it because I'd done, been leading and managing people for years. And at the end of my career, you know, I did my kind of qualifications in it. Did you find it useful or did you find the things obvious that were taught to you? It was just a different language. Mm. That was all. And Theory I, I, versus practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I, I didn't realize that I spoke a different language. You know, you, quite often I, um, yeah, the military, we just got a different way of, you know, explaining things. And <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be this. Do it. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And still now, you know, I say things to people and they like, look at me and I'm going, oh, no, that's not the right terminology. <laughs> okay. So yeah, I did that. And and also, like I said, I qualified as electrician just because probably subconsciously following my grandfather's footsteps, but mm. consciously I quite like, you know, properties. I was going to buy a house. And whilst I was there, I was introduced to, there was a guy on my course, uh, Harry, who'd bought these things called HMOs. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what, what is, is this? Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I'll tell you a funny story. So I went on my first ever webinar and I didn't realize it was, you know, I thought I'd put a shirt and a tie on and I was sat in my hotel room <laughs> <laughs> with this shirt and tie on thinking, oh, this is a two-way and I have to talk on it. And yeah, I sat there and listened to this um, this webinar about property investment. And everyone else was not with their cameras on. And if they were, it was in pajamas. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is a few years ago as well. Technology has really come on, hasn't it? Mm. But I don't think I'd ever been on a Zoom call before, you know, at that point. So so over the years, I think it's been now 10 years that you've been in property. Yeah. So you've done 
development. Mm -hmm. You've done, you've had a construction company managing refurbs, sales letting and property management business, property sourcing business, even an accounting business, and also training and coaching business. So very much 360 uh, degrees. I imagine you started one thing and then you realized that you can give a full spectrum service to the people that you were working with. And that's why you kind of moved in all those directions or how, how was the evolution for you? Yeah, it was quite a simple, you know, I bought a house and refurbished it. And then I bought another one and thought, oh, I'll be clever about this. I'll get someone in to help me convert it. So I wasn't doing all the work myself. When I go back into the first house, you know, I was literally watching YouTube, how to tile, how Love to it. fit a kitchen. <laughs> a DIY bit, house. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a bit ropey now, actually. But, you know, it's, it's done well. My first house cost me £39,200. The deposit or the house? No, the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no comment. No and comment here. <laughs> it revalued at 65. I spent 10 on it. so And I got all my money out. And I was like, I've got a house and I've got all my money back. So I was like, oh, I'll keep going. You know, and I, I carried on kind of doing that again uh, for a while. And then I was like, oh, gosh, I've got these people that live in my house, tenants. What mm. do I do with them? And then people started saying, Oh, can you do that for me? So that's kind of how my very stepping organic. stones. Yeah, yeah, very much. You know, it was almost accidentally. And then, you know, fast forward a few years and I sourced over 450 properties. It made sense for me to have a kind of construction element plugged in. It made sense for me to have a property management business plugged in. The group of companies that I grew were you know, I needed someone to look after the finances and it was kind of a business partner. And I, you know, we, we kind of did the maths and worked out it would be cheaper to employ an accountant. And then we were like, well, our existing investment clients, mostly international investment clients, because I solved money first. You know, where, where does the money come from? Which mm. is kind of the tree that most people struggle shaking in property investment. We were like, well, let's bring them in as accountancy clients. And that covers the accountant's wage. And and it all kind of grew from there, really. Very interesting because, so for people listening, what you're saying is you were doing these property deals for yourself and then other people were interested in doing the same because they heard, you know, that basically you're making money from it, so they want to do the same. And then you realize that you can actually, hey guys, I have a very exciting announcement to make. I've started working with my very first sponsor and it's none other than drumroll momo kombucha our own london-based locally produced healthy and delicious kombucha that i've been a fan of since i first tried it for those of you who know me you know that i'm obsessed with my health but at the same time i'm a devout foodie and nothing will make me renounce tasty food and drink unfortunately most delicious drinks are full of sugar and other additives that are not good for your health this is why I love Momo so much. It's delicious, so it curbs my cravings for snacks and healthy, as it contains loads of probiotics that are great for your gut. If you'd like to try it yourself, use the discount code ISTHISIT15 to get a 15% off of your first order. Expand your own portfolio through leveraging other people's money. And this is when you had the investors, or was it more the international investors also heard or came to know about what you were doing and wanted to be in that. yeah we didn't really use i think in the early days we probably did some joint ventures and we quite click 
quickly clear cleared them out really we we, we made money through sourcing through refurbishment uh project management and through training and invested that into assets and whether that was property or you know the investment fund that i manage so yeah that's kind of and, and what i mean by i solved the money piece first is you know you go to a property event and quite often there's a lot of people there looking for investment whereas we went to find the people with money first and then offered them the investment opportunities Smart. whether that was in you know develop in developments that we were doing whether that was in we'll find you an asset and we will convert that asset you know add value to it and then we'll protect it by managing it you know that that's why probably our biggest group of investors are hong kong singapore scandinavia yes because in in the end of the day uk is still considered as a you know fairly safe place to invest especially in property and um yeah you're just tapping into into solving somebody else's problem that's right while it's yeah. growing your own business yeah yeah there's, there's a stable ish economy legal system <laughs> you know we've got a pretty good track record of property doubling value roughly every 10 years mm -hmm. you look back 200 years you know that that's kind of the the maths of it and, it and it's a relatively safe asset class you know i do think you need to look wider and step back to look you know it's one asset class you know during covid you know another example of property paid for my life because people paid their rent and Whereas my other businesses struggled a bit more. Yes. It's all about diversification in the end. You don't want to be just in property, but you don't want to also have no property. Yeah. I also love it. Well. <laughs> I really love property. You know, like I like the simplicity and everyone gets it. You know, if you, if I was selling um, some kind of crypto widget or, you know, whatever, you know, you, like the concept is fantastic. Whereas people tend to have a front door and that they walk into. And, yeah. A living room and a bedroom and you know they, they get the concepts of it well you say that but i think when it comes to property investing it's still not that straightforward unless you're talking about literally flipping like flipping everyone understands but even adding value uh, and refurbishing properties uh let alone the more advanced strategies like you know hmo or commercial conversions and things like that people might not know about and even a basic thing such as being a buy-to-let landlord and so knowing that you can leverage the bank's money to make more money essentially yeah. that's not i don't think that everyone knows that yeah you're right actually you know in australia they've got an interesting one of our australian clients explained to me they have a strategy which is called negative gearing which is probably what a lot of landlords are moving to now where you buy a property, the rental income covers, you know, 60% of the mortgage and you top up the 40%. And then in 20 years time, you sell the property and you make some money on the capital appreciation. Wow. Different, different area, different strategy. But I that's, guess. Their, that's their strategy. Yeah. So you, you chat to an Australian client and say, oh, no, no, your rent covers the mortgage and you make some cash flow from it <laughs> their eyes go yeah like yeah, this yeah exactly yeah yeah wow wow tough market and i thought we have it bad here <laughs> yeah. okay well talking about what property can actually do for you so you mentioned i reckon one of your core values is freedom because that's what you mentioned in the beginning as mm -hmm. well that's very important to you so i imagine property has done that for you has given you the freedom that you wanted when you exited the army you were at zero salary basically mm -hmm. so from the moment when you started in property in 2014 with 
was it zero or did you have something to put into it? So I volunteered for redundancy. So I started with hundred thousand pounds. Okay. So in how long, I would ask you how much have you made up until now, <laughs> mm-hmm. but you tell me what you're comfortable with sharing. Like how long did it take you to get to your freedom number with property? Yeah. So you've got to think of it in two strategies. You've got to think of your wealth creation column and your cash flow column. Now, what a lot of people struggle with, it takes a long time to get paid from property. And and the true value and the true return of a property, I you know, you need to look at over 10 years at least because tenants change, boilers go, roofs get broken, maintenance, you know, the, the whole kind of end-to-end value you might think you make money one month and then lose it for the next six months and then make it for the next six years and then lose it for the next six years and that's just you're not making it super appealing for people listening (laughs) (laughs) but it's about balance if you have one property and you know that's 100 percent of the issue if you have 10 properties it's 10 20 percent of the issues now 10 percent of the issue sorry um so yeah i suppose my my stepping stones were i focused on cash flow first so I focus on how I can generate an income. And I never expected to, my property strategy is for it to self-fund and self-grow, not to have it as a cash flow strategy. Now that altered, so during COVID, I, I flicked it and started taking money out of the portfolio so I could live, but that's gone back to self-funding. So at the moment, my property portfolio, you know, decent seven-figure portfolio, and I can buy a property, a new property out of the rental income roughly every quarter. Hmm. So it just self grows. You've retired twice. <laughs> Talk to me about that. Yes. So the, so the military retirement was a, you know, I was just about 30, 31, something like that. And, you know, that was a, I had a soft landing from that because my full-time military career, I hopped into the Army Reserve part-time for a couple of years just so I could put bread and you know water on the table <laughs> and very very quickly my property business income outweighed what I was earning in the reserve um, so my priorities were kind of conflicted so my first retirement was a ending on a high it felt like the right time and then yeah growing the businesses you know th- this ecosystem and th- there was enough income coming in for me to not really need to do anything other than ever again uh ever again yeah through passive income through as passive as you can get income (laughs) Mm. let's unpack actually that because i think people have especially people that haven't gone the route yet they have a distorted vision of what passive income is so tell me what is as passive as you can get you know i right now i own a um, property management business and my properties are fully managed by the business, but I still need to understand, you know, I have an assistant helping me with me, my day-to-day, you know, family office piece, looking after mortgages, insurances, all that kind of stuff. I still need to make the more strategic decisions on what to do, whether to buy a property. You know, I think there's two steps to, to an income. The first one is, does it run without you? That's probably the first step to a business running by itself you know by itself the second step is does it grow without you and quite often people have jobs they don't even have a business so to run without you is relatively simple it's checks and measures and processes you know i'm quite technical in my 
thought process of this so it's just literally spreadsheets and you know measure what you treasure that's the, that's the saying but the growing without you is the is the harder bit because it's finding people that by if they're good enough to grow it without you they're good enough to grow it by themselves so what happens there how do you find a solution to that you have to have everything so it's transferable but everything so it's transparent as well because it's very easy to slip up um, like right now interest rates are hiking if i didn't know the cost and the the mortgage mortgages i have in place you know i use other people's money the bank's money to leverage my money so i can use inflation to pay down the debt that's my kind of property investment strategy i think that if i wasn't aware of that it would be very easy for me to lose you know my income you know lose the ability for that portfolio to grow so essentially you're saying that in this moment when the inflation is very high you want to get on as much debt as you can yep but you have to be in a position to do that. Yeah, who's not in a position to? I mean, people that are buying the property for the first time that maybe don't have that big of a deposit. You tell me. There's a significant amount of money out there. Mm. So, so, so much money. And you just got to give people an offer that is impossible to refuse. Elaborate on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the concept sell or be sold. You know, the concept is we're all selling all the time. I would say I'm an introverted, push people away, push people away salesperson. Mm. <laughs> you know, I have quite a successful coaching business, do really, really well with coaching. I'm very, I'm very good at it because I think it's very easy to earn an income. I think it's very hard to keep the money <laughs> the other side Why do you it. say that? Why do I, why is it easy yeah. to earn? Um, because all you've got to do is follow a process and understand what your motivation is. It's quite simple steps to to generate an income. In property? In anything. In anything. Okay. Yeah. So it's a matter of finding the systems that work and yeah. just following the steps. And finding other people that are doing it successfully and just copying them. I am not a creative person. This is a recent realization that, you know, if I've got to think of something, my first step is Google or right now it's chat GPT. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, am, I am. It's crazy know. how quickly we became reliant on that, isn't it? Yeah. Like adoption was zero seconds. Everyone now is using it. That's yeah. crazy. But as a non-creative person, if I've, I'm constantly, constantly have business ideas, constantly have life ideas, all sorts of bits and bobs. You know, my, my, my hack for that is I have a little red moleskin notebook and that's my good ideas book. And whatever it is, I'll write it in there. And if it keeps coming back around, it keeps sticking. I'm launching a property networking event later this year. That came, that's been sticking in my brain for, um, for a few years really. And now's the right time. Yeah. Sometimes you have to wait it out Yeah. there. I also have a lot of those things that I know that I want to do. I know I will do them. There's absolutely no rush to do them. Yeah. So, and then, you know, in some years, a perfect circumstance occurs and you just do them and it's perfect. So this income piece it's it's, I think it's, it's very, you can judge quite clearly whether someone's going to achieve it or not. And I think most people would be successful. What they tend to do is run out of time. What do you mean by that? I mean, if you were on the planet for 200 years, you lived 200 years, eventually you're going to get there. I think what people struggle with is this health income life. You know, suddenly, you know, one in two of us will get cancer. That's the stat. 
one and two yeah 50 percent. yeah so there's that to deal with there's whatever other life you know life has an ability to throw trauma <laughs> there's so that you know that that's health and that's physical health but also you know your brain as well looking after your mental health it's very very it's a hot topic for guys and women you know right now especially because of covid i think it perhaps amplified it a little bit for sure so the health piece is that comes at you then life is busy so all of that plays together so that it's harder for you to achieve the goals that you want to achieve yeah so what's the solution that is a great question and this is a a strand of thought that constantly evolves for me my simplification is hill trademarked mm-hmm. <laughs> no it's not um health income life and i think it's impossible to balance it because i think what happens is by growing all of it proportionally and steadily it kind of stutters you don't really make much progress so the idea is to have little bits of sprints and have the right measures and awareness in place so you know, I weigh myself once a week and put that into my fitness pal app. And I know if that's going up for a few weeks, then I need to make adjustments. Yeah, yeah. You know, I know that, you know, relationships, you, you've got to put effort, you've got to put time, you've got to, you've got to, um, you know, you've got to kind of give the other person what they want, what they need. But if you're busy with work and you're busy looking after yourself, that bit kind of drops down. So the idea is when you start noticing kind of cracks or start noticing things changing, you adapt. Yeah. Uh, as you were as you were speaking, I was just imagining, um, I guess I'm a visual person. I was just imagining a graph of, you know, okay, say your, your finances, say your health, say your relationships. And I really much agree with what you're saying. I don't think that if you had three eyes to keep on those three bars, right? And you were constantly looking at the three of them. It's like almost if you want to raise them and you're raising them all at the same time, then there's so much on your shoulders. They're going to be raised slower than if you focused on one at a time. And that makes sense, right? Because wherever the focus goes, the energy flows and the results show. I think the missing part for a lot of people in that equation is how they're feeling about the other two bars once they realize that, okay, say relationships, say they've been focusing on improving their relationships with the people that are important to them and they put the focus there, that bar is being raised and then say, you know, a couple of weeks, a couple of months later, they're like, oh, this is so great. And then all of a sudden they look around and they're like, (gasps) And they look down and they're these bars that have been left behind and then they feel guilty and they feel anxious and they feel all of a sudden that, you know, what to grab, what to start, why am I not there? And so I think that if people have awareness around how this all works and that in one specific moment, you can only focus and really grow exponentially one thing, then it's normal to then afterwards calmly look at the other two and be like okay now i have i've I've raised the bar here which is the next place that i'm gonna work on which is the priority and then just do the same but without that guilt and anxiousness yep um and the rub is it's all very slow and attritional you know it's, it's small unnoticeable changes if you ate a cheeseburger and you put a stone on how many cheeseburgers would you eat in a week <laughs> You know, and, and it's it's exactly you know, it's exactly that concept about everything from your own well being to your own physical health to your family, your friends, your you know, I've got three, you know, beautiful children. Um, and that grapple of, 
you know, fatherhoods and and am I a good father by being able to provide for my children or being there for my children? Well, the simple answer is both, but we're just talking about where you can only have one at once. So what do you choose? You tell me. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I am exactly what we've talked about. It's about being aware of it and not letting it get too far. Yeah, I guess constant check-in and mm -hmm. rebalancing of the scales when it's appropriate. There's also a, a, a kind of, you know, a level up from this, which is, I think ultimately we're all searching for our version of happiness. And if you are a self-incubating, self-starting, self-generating bundle of happiness, you love yourself, then, you know, the rest of it is it's not irrelevant, but it, it adds the perspective, it, it adds the kind of comfort around you know if you are putting a bit of chubber on or you are you know kind of you know you're not really keeping in contact with people you'll uh, feel uh, it and then you'll naturally self-adjust i think yeah that's right yeah the the areas that are important to us in our lives we'll, we'll feel the lack of or that something's wrong there and then i think it's a natural kind of walking that path of adjustment towards those hey and i'm coming from a perspective of making these mistakes mm. You know, that this is this is experience and, you know, one of my highest values is learning. You know, I'm listening to a book pretty much every day, uh, podcast at least once a day, sometimes twice a day. And yeah, I made mistakes, but I also wouldn't change any of them or many of them. <laughs> <laughs> you want to share some of those that you do regret? Probably, you know, staying around things for too long when when I, you already know. Yeah, and and that that kind of that concept of that gut feeling, you know, learning learning when to kind of tune into right and wrong. In hindsight, it's perfectly reasonable to go. I knew that was a sign. Yeah. Whereas now it's about you. Know, I, I think as more and more kind of you go through more and more trauma. You know, that's the point where you go. Well, I'm not putting up with that. Maybe it's a boundary. Yeah, I think one of my biggest lessons every year <laughs> mm. is trust your gut just trust your gut we know like we have this embedded intelligence yep. in us that that tells us things before our thinking brain is able to compute logical answers we know we know way before and it's just a matter of trusting yourself and also being aware enough and present enough to hear those impulses feel those impulses but yeah, that's that's a massive one for me. I think your gut also protects you though. So it's about Chimp Paradox, fantastic book. Concept is fantastic. And I think that knowing when to push through it versus when to listen to it is the, you know, that, that that's the kind of tricky bit that comes with a bit more experience. And we frame our experience. We can, you know, coaches, mentors, whether they're paid coaches, mentors, or just, you know, people, people that you follow can give you a reference to know that's right, that's not right. But we tend to like people who go through similar things to us. Yeah, definitely. Because one of the human traits is we're all looking for connection at a basic level. Yeah, that's why uh, the community is so important and having people in your life that understand you. I think that's one of the prerequisites for a great long-term friendship as well. Understanding. Yeah. Even even a relationship on any, any sorts, even a romantic one, everything. You mentioned... You have three kids. Yeah. I, I can't help but to um, have this. I've always thought this from my observation, men that and, and women as well, to be fair, that 
have kids and are married tend to do better financially. Have you noticed that? Because it seems that they have more drive and reason to do it. And they just get more focused because they're not distracted by, you know, your proverbial single life and parties and whatever else the absence of a family entails. I think it's it's interesting, actually, because probably from my perspective, it's the opposite. Really? Yeah, yeah. How so? Like having children is the most fulfilling, you know, beautiful thing I think, you know, most people can do, but also it's the hardest thing. Put me back through commando training. I would rather be wet and cold with, you know, 80 pounds on my back, walking up a mountain (laughs) with the rain, you know, sideways on my face or whatever, than having to deal with my 12, 13 year old daughter who is growing up. And, you know, my instinct is always to protect. And it's the worst thing I can do with her. Because there are things you can't protect her from. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, she was probably sheltered a bit, you know, her eyes are a lot, you know, a lot wider now. But yeah, I suppose you do have that sense of purpose and that, that, that kind of reason why but also, you know, my, my thinking's really evolved around my children that children who go through hardship tend to perform better. For sure. I think that it's something that it does drive you and it does motivate you, but also that always will always take priority over everything else that's going on because you've got to look after your basic needs of your children. So you're saying that, yes, you might have more motivation in in your career and in doing better in business because you need to take care of your kids. But at the same time, whatever career will never come before them. So you might make decisions that might be detrimental to your career in favor of kids. Depends what uh, kind of person you are. You know, I grew up without a father, you know, without, without kind of a strong male influence in my life. I met my father when I was in my early 20s. Went and knocked on How the door. How was that? <laughs> um, yeah, it was interesting, actually. It was just, uh, you always wonder why. You always wonder. Did you get the answers? No. What did you get? Christmas presents and, you know, a perfectly level one relationship. But then when I separated from my ex-wife and went through divorce, you know, that really polarized the people around me. And the people that in my camp, right or wrong, stayed with me. And those that weren't in my camp didn't. You know, it really kind of gave me a, these are the people that I want to take forward in my life. Interesting. So did you all of a sudden, when you had the separation, lose half of your friends and people? Uh, yeah. Wow. How do you navigate something like that? Learn to love yourself. And that was my year, I think three years ago, was self-love. You know, one of the amazing things about the military is it takes away the ability to be affected by the lows. It means That's you, invaluable. You can function. The downside to that is you lose the highs as well. So you end up in a middle bracket. That's and, what a lot of people are, especially stoic people, are aiming for. Yeah. Whereas for me, I want that up and down and I want that, you know, I kind of... You want to feel something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Feel something. Yeah, yeah. And one of my claim to fame was, you know, I last cried in 1996 or something. But actually, you know, my year of self-love was all about learning to cry and learning to talk about, you know, 
mental health for you know a lot of my coaching was clients. that difficult oh yes yeah 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 talk about your feelings what are you want about <laughs> you know, <laughs> i'm a yorkshireman for a start <laughs> and then you know as a as a kind of military person the first time i was ever really in a a real kinetic environment where you know i actively knew somebody was shooting at me you know rounds landing around me at my feet you know people around me dropping i got back in from you know from, from where i was and you know the padre who's the kind of military you know religious person military vicar came over and put his hand on my shoulder and was like you're right lad and i was like yes padre that was it that was that was my ptsd and that's it yeah 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 that that's as far as it went at that time it's a lot better now you know they're really really kind of come on with what they offer but yeah that's as far as you went because you just bottled it all up and you know compartmentalized and moved on so how do you think you processed and got rid of it so that it had no impact on you if it didn't or did it it didn't my year of self-love i did all sorts of stuff i did did hypnotherapy i did i had kind of what i called renter dad who was just this amazing human being who was a business coach but he just didn't realize i mean he was pretty rubbish at business (laughs) (laughs) he was a great human being great human being yeah 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 and just added perspective on life you know i love me you know he was a bit older i'd say mid to late 60s and you know just add the little bit of advice that was it doesn't really matter it feels like it matters but it doesn't matter so a lot about relationship with yourself you know relationship with your family relationship with kids you know that that was a year of really evolving around that and not because i ever thought there was an issue like the hypnosis was fantastic because i i I went in there going go and have a go hypnotize me 10 minutes in and i was kind of dribbling (laughs) sessions in and there's tears running down my cheek and 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 i was like nothing savage nothing horrific it was just really simple little things but nothing i ever did in the military ever came up interesting what why how do you think that's possible or why it's either bottled up and when i'm in my 50s i'm gonna grow a ponytail and buy a whole <laughs> or um or um i just managed to diffuse it got bigger problems i suppose what could be bigger than that Everything has perspective and I think you kind of lose the, I think you grow around what the problem was at the time. So it loses the impact that it had at the time. So the first time I was shot at, you know, or the first time, you know, like separating from from my wife and realizing I'm not going to see my kids every day. And actually just being able to talk about that's a a big thing because for me, being a successful person, you know, I, I stand in front of people and this is something a lot of people grapple with. You know, a lot of my coaching clients are going, oh, you know, my wife's not aligned with or my husband's not aligned with what I'm doing. And I've got to be so impartial with with my advice, because having been through that, that's how that's how I kind of, you know, with with my kind of partner now came up with the concepts of health income life just to simplify the complexity of getting on with it. So, yeah, I think it's about adding perspective and, and I feel like I've been able to diffuse those bits and bobs by myself, which is very unusual i'd say from what i've heard of people that have gone through traumatic experiences which military is for sure especially in environments that you've described it was also fun it was also fun yeah what was fun about it what made it fun traveled the world and 
adapted stuff that you read about in books and i guess you get to live out the hero experience which i can imagine especially for a young man is something important yeah uh, it, that it's funny the words so when i when I, I spent some time in the states and you know the military you know veterans and and serving military you kind of worshiped you're out in uniform and people come and shake your hand and people you know, you get free coffee. <laughs> <But> I saw that. <laughs> and, and you love coffee. <laughs> I love coffee. Yeah, yeah. It's just just the word hero I used to hate because I never did it for for that. But then, you know, when the kind of most recent conflicts went on, I would be out in uniform and people would come and shake my hand in the UK. And even the concept of help for heroes, I hated the name heroes. Why? Probably because most people don't really do it for thanks you know mm. they do it for their own reasons and quite often camaraderie and 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 the military are, you know that you're looking after the people around you you're not really thinking queen or king now and, and country you know you're thinking of my team and for me i was never really bothered about putting my life in danger i was bothered about when i had to send troops into an environment that i knew statistically you know something was going to happen to them that was a much harder harder kind of decision to make i can only imagine it's one thing being responsible for yourself and your own health safety finances and a completely different thing when you have the burden of x amount of people on your shoulders how has your understanding of your purpose evolved over time and what is it now do you know i am very comfortable that i don't know but i know i will know how do you know you will know i've just got a feeling and just Trust like <laughs> yeah 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 and, and i just i think my purpose evolves and alters and i think that you know i've got such a kind of i don't want to get too excited explaining but you know such such a kind of like drive that i feel like i constantly suppress and Why? constantly hold because i'm waiting to put it into the right direction and the right environment you know i know that i'm you know i love property investment i know that i love giving good people good places to live i know that i love working with investors something so my concept is something international something holistic that fits around mm. you know i'm not really a business coach i'm a health wealth and happiness you know because because i kind of think you can have one without the other i've probably got another i'm aiming for another five or six years and then have another retirement <laughs> that's my will that be your final retirement probably no. not yeah <laughs> no, no, no. i don't think i'll ever stop i think i'll keep going and you know why i think that is I think even the term retirement is probably very faulty in its own because it implies us doing something by default that we don't like. Yeah. So we need to retire from it. So I think as a society, and, and to be fair, we're moving towards that. I mean, we have four day work weeks now. Remote work is very prevalent. And I think more and more as a society, we're getting, getting conscious of the fact that we shouldn't be feeling bad at our workplace we should be enjoying what we're doing so there might never be a need for a retirement if you're doing something that you like doing and as you know cliche as this might sound i think not enough people are thinking about it like your default state in your life shouldn't ever be a feeling of oh i hate this place I don't want to do this. Yeah, knowing that what you like doing is quite difficult as well. You know, you're meant to be happiest in your 50s because you know what you don't know. You know what you like and don't like and you tend to have the confidence or the, you know, the ability to influence that. So the idea is to fast forward that. What I do with a lot of coaching clients, a lot, a lot of people is I see people who go through something later on in life, you know, like something happens and 
that suddenly reframes everything and they come out of themselves born again you know whatever whatever it is and it's how you can not have to go through that but get to that feeling how the first step is awareness and i think you know i said kind of income is relatively simple you've just got to copy someone doing something that relatively enjoy and keep going with it i think i want to stop there because it's a point worth emphasizing because people often try and myself included in the past try try things but then don't stick to it in long enough to see the results one of my favorite um i suppose groups of people are people that don't realize how good they are you know don't realize how i'm working with a guy at the moment and he's just got a fantastic business and mindset and it's all come from himself and as soon as i overlay a little bit of growth a little bit of systems a little bit of think add a naught to it what's the difference with someone he's got a construction firm what's the difference with someone that does five hundred thousand pound conversions to five million to 50 million probably mindset limits that's it perhaps they speak to different people during the day they've got a different team around them they've got a different accountant you know a different business advisor a different essentially different people that they hang around with yeah and that's one of the things that I think is a a big indicator of, you know, whether you'll be successful or not. It's a really hard pill to swallow for people when I say do an audit of everyone you spend your time around. Do an audit of, you know, everyone that's on your social media. You know, my social media is purely, most of the time it's not me, <laughs> but my social media is purely for business. And as soon as I find myself, which I do sometimes find myself scrolling, I have kind of a what you're doing, what you're doing, what you're doing. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. And I undergone a very serious shift for myself with social media in the past, well, obviously past year uh, when I started doing all of this. But also before that, I came to this realization that I'm literally giving away my life, my life force, my best years to this little screen doing absolutely nothing. And it's okay to check in with your friends, like your your best friends, your family, see what they do. That's that's awesome. But percentage-wise, how much is that versus when you're just scrolling out of a habit? That's life lost. That is life lost. So now my policy is social media is for business. And fine, I allow that, you know, margin of 5 to 10% because I'm not perfect <laughs> of it being social like i share when i want to share if i'm doing something nice something cool that i think might inspire people okay i'll share that but that's pretty much it and i think that's that's how it should be because when we realize that the tech companies are making money off of us scrolling and, and and spending our time i think then you shift that perspective and you're like well actually let me make this a business yeah and also i think we can convince ourselves we're doing it for good reasons because we're looking for business ideas or we're looking for investors or we're looking for you know whatever our business is so last year my view was to up my network that was my year of networking and I spoke at 36 events this year is my digital year so since January pretty much every day me or somebody's been posting on social media podcasts I'll be very curious webinars. to have a conversation end of the year to see yep. how those two years compared to you and what they gave you it's an experiment yeah it's, it's really interesting you know I love the I love marketing I love the how do you capture somebody's awareness and get them to make a decision to do something off the back of 
what you've shown them. Fascinating. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? What has worked for you so far best? I probably get five or six times as many views, if that's a metric, if I put a photo of my face on or somebody's face. Yeah, because people want to do business with people, not do, yeah. whatever, some names, yeah. some some. But then companies. I also think it deepens a lot of relationships, you know, that you already have. Because I would rather know a hundred people really, really well than a thousand people to say hi to. That's very true. And that just brings us back to how social media works these days. Again, we spend so much time watching people that you don't even know. Why? Why are you doing that? It's really, unless again, you're doing it for business and you're doing market research and competitor analysis, what are you really doing? Or, or to be fair, getting inspiration. Then why are you doing that? Build your life. Off the back of this year's so far, um, I would say once a week, I have somebody message me with opportunity. You know, I just think it's a really exciting time, you know, to yeah. be... It's an incredible tool used yeah. wisely, for yeah, sure, for yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you've obviously coached a lot of people. How long have you been doing that now? As a coaching business for seven years. Seven years, yeah. magic number. And so what is the problem that you see most recurring in people that impedes them to get to where they want to be? Easy, simple, uh, themselves. Okay, that is easy and simple. Be more specific. Yeah, yeah, fine. <laughs> most people don't know what, they don't know and you know you go through a process of they get comfortable in their environment and as soon as you start going you know a good coach is somebody that will bring awareness to your reason for doing something mm -hmm. so yeah as soon as you start quite often when I'm coaching I coach myself as well you know, Sue yeah yeah absolutely but also because I've coached hundreds thousands of people now you know in growing property investment portfolios, growing businesses, just life <laughs> elements. Mm -hmm. I'd never call myself a life coach though, because I just think it's a bit... Cringe. Yeah, 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 that's the word. <laughs> it's a good word. I was going to, you know, I don't like, it's not like take your shoes and socks off, stand on the grass, look at the sun and think, give, me, thoughts, give me some yeah. money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's a bit more practical than that. But, but it's really, really important. So yeah, it, it's that making people understand what their core values are. As soon as you, the great book by John Demartini, The Values Factor, mm -hmm. and um, as soon as you understand what your values are, it, see, it unlocks everything because you go, this is why I do everything. This is why I'm always... And then it's much harder to breach that as well. So you're more in alignment with your values and you're so much more effective and you enjoy yep. life more. Yeah. Because you're in alignment. Exactly that. You know, and that, that's kind of the the foundation really of um, the health income life pieces, you know, values and your why can alter and also bring in that realization that it's okay to just want nice stuff. You don't have to condone yourself. Yeah, you don't you don't have to give twenty percent of your income away to charity or do, you know, depend you know, whatever works mm -hmm. for you really. So bringing the self-awareness to what's important to you and then unlocking the practical tools to do that. Because actually, you know, I've got a coaching client at the moment whose admin is rubbish, but they're just so capable, you know, so, you know, built a fantastic property portfolio, really kind of capable human being. And it's, you've got to add the people around you. You know, I am rubbish at starting stuff and finishing it but in the middle i'm very good <laughs> you know it's the probably organizational and systemizational yeah yeah part. that's right it's probably frustrating to to live with but <laughs> it's but i know 
once I have that little kick to get over. Yeah, uh, it's about finding the right people around you as well. Yeah. And I think, well, for people that are just starting their business or their property portfolio, it's very important emphasizing that you you will at some point obviously do it all by yourself, but you shouldn't. That shouldn't be the way you do things. So how quickly should people be looking to employ other people, outsource other tasks? Yeah, there's kind of two simple ways of growing a business. You bootstrap. So as you make a bit, you add a bit in. So as you're making that little bit more money, you bring a admin in. And I think your first probably six to eight team members are probably just to-doists. They just, you do this, you do this, you do this. And they might have some kind of job roles, but it's not really, you don't really get into the structure until you go above that in kind mm -hmm. of team members. The other way is you create the structure and create the gap, you know, put a big cash injection in so you can cover you know, six months, 12 months worth of salaries and overheads and then fill it. Now they're both equally as hard because by bootstrapping, what you're talking about as you make a bit, you add a bit in, that's the answer. You know, when you can afford to, the hard bit about that is it's tight and you know, what kills a business is cash flow. It's not about profitability. It's not about great product. It's not about being able to deliver. It's you've got to have cash running through your business. So by focusing on it's kind of like driving at night with your lights off if you don't know your numbers. So bootstrapping is, I've done both. And actually it's more, it's higher risk to front load and create capacity, but probably a bit easier. Whereas bootstrapping is lower risk, but harder. I guess it depends on the personality of the person as well. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. You know which one I am. <laughs> <laughs> which one are you? I'm the bootstrapper for sure, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that seems less risk for me. And quite often the risk comes down to mindset around money. Very aware of that. <laughs> so that's the bit to, um, that's the bit to solve. Yeah. And remember the problem's not the problem, you know, so you go back yeah, and you yeah, go yeah, back yeah. and you unpick that bit and you go, that's how I unravel how to be successful in business. Yeah. And I, I guess that that's what you're working on with your clients as well. Most yeah. of all, it's it's always some things in the mindset that need tackling before you can get to the next level. I'd say the biggest mindset hot for a lot of people is when to leave their jobs as well. Because a lot of people I work with, they're in, you know, full time, busy jobs and they've got families and they've got, you know, wider commitments. And how do you balance and as long as you enjoy it, it doesn't matter. You've just got to manage your expectations because that's the thing that, that trips you up. That's a big one, yeah. Expectation management is, I think, the pitfall in in everything, in relationships, in business, in career, in going to a restaurant and having a good time, everything. Yeah, yeah it is, isn't it? But then you can't live in the middle bracket of expectations Explain because that. you will never get excited about anything. You've got to be able to look forward to things. You've got to be able to allow yourself to go to push your comfort zone because I think if you don't, you don't get to where you want, you, know, you don't get to your potential. Now, some people are happily stay in their lane. They will never move out of their village. They will... You know, <laughs> like I said, village. <laughs> village, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking Yorkshire, uh, you know, the Yorkshire thing. And I love that. I really, really love that. You know, I think it's fantastic. Are they as happy? You know, I spent a lot of time in the Middle East and you see kind of you know, the, the, the lifestyle, you know, people don't have a lot compared to us, you know, compared to kind of Western society. Are they as happy as us? Probably. Who's right? Who's wrong? In Italian, we say the world 
is beautiful because it varies. So there's a place for everyone. Yeah. And for everything. These are, so all this stuff is, you know, I've said it a couple of times, strands of thoughts. Mm -hmm. So I think about this and scribble and journal and talk to people and I tend to obsess over a subject for a while and then leave it alone. And my thinking constantly evolves, but I also have comfort that I park it and now I'll come back to that. Right now I'm at a position where, you know, that's what I think about that. And actually that might change. Of course, and it will change because you grow, you evolve, you learn new things. So your perspective will be completely different next time in six months that you come back and you look at that idea, yeah. iteration. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's normal. And I, I try to do it on a 12-month kind of piece where I'll start going, right, this was me last year. What do I want to take forward with me? What are the good bits? What are the bad bits? Right, I'm going to choose to take this bit forward, but I'm not going to beat myself up about it. And I think that's one of the, one of the traits of high-performing individuals are you're very self-critical because your standards are so high and you, you expect... A lot from yourself. Yeah, that's right. Mm. So learning to to be kind to yourself. So when I'm having all this stuff is is great and, you know, having the right routine, the right, you know, people around you and we all stray off the path and the idea is to have reset points. So you go back to who you want to be. And when I'm on my worst, you know, days, weeks, months, whatever, my default is always trying to be kind and always trying to, you know, I listened to something recently and it was, I can't remember the podcast and it was about finding daily awe. So finding something beautiful yes. every day and looking after myself, you know, by moving or lifting something or, you know, kind of running around or whatever. I resonate with that a lot with what you're saying about being kind to yourself, because I, I'm definitely one of those people that are extremely self-critical. And just over the years, especially recently, it's a conscious thought. And now I'm just catching myself each time that you know the down days come and it's hard and I can feel that voice kind of coming in that wants to like beat me down and criticize etc mm. and I just I just catch it now I'm able to catch it expel that persona like that sort of negative self-talk and replace it with best friend so one of the things that I've put and this to be fair probably three years ago I put this on my vision board I'm my best friend and now after a couple of years I can see that has materialized like now when the down days come and it's a low energy point and i'm tired and whatever else and maybe i'm fearful or i'm anxious i'm able to step in as in like i'm able to make that kind self step in and support myself rather than beat myself down and that's such a massive change because a those moments those down moments become so much shorter they become so much more manageable it's just a feeling that you're not alone and you're supported yeah. and the magical thing is that you're doing that to yourself it's also about embracing it and accepting it you're not negating yep. the feeling and you know I, I said discipline outperforms motivation and also how you do anything is how you do everything other way around how you do everything is how you do anything so, so the concept is like be aware of these these kind of mantras this way of living your life and actually by being aware of it because everything takes over and you know gets busy and by coming back to that as frequently as you can i think that keeps you reset yeah you have to have some ground rules some maxims that you follow and i think if you can make i will be my best friend my number one supporter and no matter what 
I will always be there for you, you being you, (laughs) then that's a pretty awesome rule to live by because Mm -hmm. you know that no matter what sort of crap situation you're going to be in, there's somebody there for you and you're not relying on anyone else external. You're, You're indestructible. Yeah. Which is which is pretty cool, pretty exciting. Nick, <laughs> I want to ask you one more thing before I ask you the last question, mm-hmm. which is what would be the three things that you've picked up over the years that have served you the most, that you treasure the most, the lessons? Gosh, that's a good question. I should have prepared for this. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've already shared so many, but I always yeah. ask this because usually people surprise me. They still come up with some new I'll bring up some new bits actually. So I think one of the biggest thing is who you choose as a life partner has the biggest single impacts on your life. Amen. Really, really important. You know, so that's absolutely number one. I would say linking to what you just said about speaking well to yourself, but, but being aware of allowing yourself to have bad days, allowing yourself to have good days. The self-awareness is number two. And my third one is... So that's perspective, you know, your 85 year old self looking back going, you know, giving you some advice. What would they say? So that's what I'm saying. And the third one is having a offensive eagerness, having a nothing's going to stop this happening because a lot of things out there will try and stop you getting to where you want to go. So being able to kind of push through that comfort zone, push through the boundaries, push through the nose to get where you want to go. The, the no regrets mantra. Very precious. Thank you. That's okay. And to to wrap it up, if I asked you what was your recipe for happiness, what would you say? I would say sprinting between health, income and life. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. Yes, Thank same. you, Nick. Hello, friends. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe and share it with someone. I would love to hear your feedback and suggestions as to what guests you'd like to see in the show next. See you next week.